We welcome you to our series, Hearing the Voice of God. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the whisper. Everyone say the whisper that changes everything. Who's got your ear? Look at your neighbor and say, who's got your ear? It's, it's, not, it's not like when, you know, when you're, you're little, I got your nose. I got your nose. It's not that. I know that I thought of it this afternoon after I gave that, that title. But it is who are you allowing to speak into your life? We've been talking about how we hear from God. And this is another great principle of hearing from God. And it is the voice of godly counsel, which is so important. So let's read the scripture. I'll read out loud. You can read silently and then we'll pray. The Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel says, I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you what is good and leads you along the path you should follow. Isn't that a great promise? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we welcome your Holy Spirit into this room. In King Jesus' name, we ask you, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Lord, tonight let this teaching, which I believe it will be a teaching, be received in instruction. Speak to us, Lord. Prepare us and give us a word to help others, Lord. You're always giving us tools to help others. So through this teaching, give those tools. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, into this room. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. So we've talked about the different witnesses of hearing the voice of God and how they should align themselves. One of the interesting theories of this is kind of long air traffic control or all the things a pilot has to work through when he's flying. So here's some stats for you. Um, Although every vocation carries with it a degree of stress, statistical studies consistently indicate that working in air traffic control is one of the most stressful jobs in the workplace. Why? Pilots may have the lives of a few hundred people in their care, but air traffic controllers must coordinate the flight patterns of numerous airplanes in order to prevent mid-air collision. If you've ever flown, are you not so thankful for um, um, the control people? Come on, somebody. One error, thank you, Chris. One error can result in the loss of many hundreds of lives. Why is that important? Air traffic controllers observe by radar what the pilot in the airplane isn't able to see. Godly counsel operates the same way. Number one, the reason godly counsel is so powerful is because people consult godly men and women to gain perspective they don't have. Everyone say perspective. Perspective. What do you think of when you hear the word perspective? I'm not looking for a right answer. How you see things. Um, Perspective is often how you see things. Um, One of the most amazing things about God is that he trusts us to make decisions. I mean, you know, he could just zap us. You realize that? He could just zap us, but he entrusts us to make decisions. And that side of his character is so awesome. So I'm going to warn you tonight. I've got some stories. A couple of them are truly painful. Most of them end really well, but one is extremely painful. But I want to start with one, the greatest one I know about godly counsel. There was a woman at Lee University, a student. At that time, she was a young woman. She was going to Lee. She was a godly woman. Everyone say godly woman. She loved the Lord. She loved Holy Spirit. She was gifted. She was a worshiper. And I'm not talking about myself. She was a worshiper. She was a woman of the word. She was awesome and powerful And in everything kingdom that was going on, she was dating 
a young man who was a minister, an awesome godly minister. But one night, she became involved in a prayer meeting. And in this prayer meeting, Jerry, a man prophesied to her. I mean, they got caught up in the spirit. The Lord was moving. I mean, surely this was legit. And all of a sudden, he prophesies to her, Donna, and he says, you are to marry me. The Lord says to you tonight, you are to marry me. It is God's will. He spoke in tongues. I'm telling you the way it went down. He prophesied to her and said, you're to marry me. You are to break up with this other man. Well, this young lady was so eager to please the Lord. Everyone say, please the Lord. She was so eager. She was so expectant. She went home and got on the phone in the hallway of the dorm. She called her boyfriend and broke up with him. She called her parents and told her parents and said, I'm gonna, I broke up with him. I'm going to marry this so-and-so. Her parents did the most awesome thing in the world. They sent her pastor and his wife straight to Cleveland, Tennessee. Come on. I mean, they were on the next car the next morning when the sun came up. Why? Because this woman named Kathy, I'm sure this would not float that way, but she's told this many times, did not love this man. She loved the man she was going to marry. She didn't even like this man that prophesied over her. And when the pastors came to her, from what I've heard of a first-hand account from Kathy, I've preached for Kathy, and been close to her fears, not the Kathy that's coming Sunday, um, another Kathy, but um, it took her pastors three and a half hours of walking her through the Scripture and telling her, this is not the Old Testament where your parents traded you for a camel. Come on, somebody. This is not that time where you had a preordained marriage. Is anybody so thankful for that? Children, are you so thankful for that? Christine, just think who I'd marry you off to if it was up to me. And I'm going to tell you, Joni and I were recently exchanging pics. Sometimes we're just, we're, we're mean girls, not really. We'll exchange pictures of the guy our parents want us to marry. And we'll just laugh. And it wasn't that they look bad. They just don't fit us. My parents always had these general official, Donna, their sons in mind. Every assembly, everyone's talking. Their sons want to date you, but you just keep wanting to talk about that surfer, Hank Davis. You know, uh, and they were always doing that. But they convinced her, and what they went through was, first of all, do you love him? In the Old Testament, you don't have to love your spouse. It is horrible, is it not? And also, Sherry, Keith doesn't have a brother, does he? Well, if Keith did have a brother and he died in the Old Testament, you'd have to marry his brother. Someone give Jesus a hand that those Old Testament days are over. Woo! Yeah, that was the law. And, you know, back then they prearranged marriages, and that's not the way. We live on the side of grace. Everyone say grace. grace. Hallelujah, Jesus. Just think about who you'd end up with. So <clears throat> anyway, it took, <clears throat> excuse me, it took a long time, about three and a half hours, but they convinced her this is not God's will. She ended up marrying the man. The pastors went and rebuked the other guy, and I'm going to leave out a few parts about him if that's okay. They went and visited him. That's a good pastor. Come on. That's a good pastor. They went over and they rebuked him and said, don't you ever do this to anybody else again. This is not the way God works. It's not the author of confusion. So give the Lord and those pastors a hand clap of praise for that. Hey, sisters, if you need snacks, go ahead. You won't bother us. Go ahead. So we're just on number one. We waited a little bit for you. So this is wonderful. So... What I'm saying here, just think, if, if, when I talk about what godly counsel is in your life, think about those two pastors. 
It's not just a pastor, but think about this. They came in with a perspective biblically. They came in with a perspective of this is not right. You don't even like him, much less love him. You got caught up in the spirit realm, and you're not going by wisdom. Wisdom doesn't bow to emotions or feelings or goosebumps. Can I get an amen? But isn't it wonderful that sometimes those things come, and that's incredible. Number two, Jesus is described as the wonderful counselor, the wonderful counselor. I love it that he's a wonder of a counselor. I love that 700 years before Jesus' birth, the prophet Isaiah used these words to describe the coming Messiah. Everyone say Messiah. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus, everyone say Jesus, is a counselor. In the early 1950s, there was a woman named Myra Wattenberger, and she was down on her luck. She had lost everything. She was almost penniless. Myra um, didn't have anything to her name, and she got a job taking care of an elderly man in his home. As she took care of him, and her life was like a good old broken down country song, as she took care of him, one day, one of his sons, who was an alcoholic, cornered her and raped her violently. He raped her, and um, Myra had already was at the bottom, but then she said, I'm just going to kill myself. I'm going to take my life. Fortunately, she didn't, but then she said to herself, I'm going to get rid of this baby. She said, because this baby is, you know, the, the product of this horrible thing. And on her way to do it, and thinking after that she'd kill herself, the voice of the Lord, someone say the voice of the Lord, said to her, Myra, have this baby. This baby will bring you great joy. Everyone say great joy. She had that baby. That baby is who you know now, almost everyone knows, James Robinson, who's on TV every day, on Trinity, on Daystar, a man of God, a man of faith. He went through a lot of deliverance in his own life because of things he carried on from his childhood. But I love it that Jesus is the counselor. If nobody is there to help us, don't you love it that he can help us? Don't you love it in moments that are tense and tired and we're overwhelmed and nobody is there? The wonder of a counselor can give us intervention. Every time I see James Robinson on TV, and I actually met him at Marx's Homegoing, I just think, I didn't get to speak to him, but I met, just met him in passing with other people I was traveling with, the Franklins and the Stones. And I just thought I would have told him, your story really affected me because it told me that God will intervene and bring something beautiful out of something horrible. Can you say amen? Amen. So underneath number two, there came forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord, everyone say, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. I want you to say, that's Jesus. I want you to say, that's Holy Spirit. Jesus' ministry on earth was empowered by the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Watch this again. Hang with me. The Spirit of the Lord rested upon Jesus, and it can upon you as well. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding rested upon Jesus, and it can upon you as well. The Spirit of counsel and might, and it can upon you. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear 
of the Lord. Number three, godly life-giving counsel is a sign of the Holy Spirit at work among his people. I know my sister spent some time with Pastor David this afternoon. I bet there was godly counsel, wasn't there? And in that godly counsel, the Lord had his will and the Lord had his way. The beautiful thing is, it is proof that Jesus, though he went to heaven, we are not alone. The Holy Spirit is with us. And when sometimes we can't figure out where that answer came, I got news for you. Neither one of us are that smart, but he is. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight on this Wednesday night. I love that. So let's talk about number four, the benefits of godly counsel. We'll go through each one of these. This is more of a teaching, maybe till we get to the, I mean, no preaching, but maybe more moving stories when we get to the end. The benefits of godly counsel. A, safety. When you seek out godly counsel, there is safety. Kathy Hammond would be married, probably would have been married a year to a guy she didn't even like if she had listened to what that man said was God's will. But safety came when her pastors drove from Virginia down to Cleveland to help her. It says on that verse, Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there is no counsel, the people what? Fall or perish. But in the multitude of counsels, there is what? Safety. The context of this passage points to multiple, say several, counselors. Now look up for a minute. I'm going to encourage you though. What was that show? Was it Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? You could poll the audience. But the problem is, if you get too many people speaking into your life, you're going to get confusion. Because I can ask 20 people something. I mean, I have a board of advisors. I talk to them every week. Every time they're concurrent on the same thing, I think God is talking. Anytime they differ a little bit, at the end of the day, I have to make the decision myself for the church. But I believe in godly counsel. But anytime they're separate from each other, I will go away and pray and think, Lord, what are you saying? Because if you're not careful, I mean, if you ever ask 20 people about something and you got 20 different answers, sometimes it's who you ask. Be careful you don't get too many. It may work on who wants to be a millionaire, but it doesn't work in your life when you ask too many people. And if you're facing a life or death situation, if you were going to a doctor and the doctor said, hey, we're going to take out your liver, it's inflamed. I don't know who that has good insurance would not get a second opinion. Am I not right? But yet we want to stop at the first opinion. Two godly opinions or three is awesome when you're facing a big decision. I mean, if we're facing life or death and we think, well, they're going to take off my toe. I think I should see another doctor. The same thing with our spiritual life, even more so. If you were on a ship and it went down and they put you on one of those little lifeboats, would you want to be out in the ocean by yourself with all the sharks or would you like to be connected to a few other lifeboats with men with knives? Come on. I mean, you remember that old thing, who do you want if you get deserted on an island? Who do you want with you? You want resourceful people, right? Nobody wants to be Tom Hanks with Wilson. Can I get an amen? You want to be with other people. Godly counsel is merely hooking our lifeboats up together and saying, and I'm going to go through what you're looking for, so just hang in there. You want to be tied. So number B, success. Success. Godly, the benefits of godly counsel are success. Everyone say success. The verse from Proverbs 15 and 22 says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. 
Advisors not only provide safety, but they ensure success. If you're considering a big decision, you stand a good chance of missing out if you don't seek out godly counsel. It is physically, and I mean this, and intellectually impossible for me to discover and explore every option before me. Is it not right? Sometimes you'll be talking to someone and they'll give you this. And you say, well, I didn't think about that. And then some of us, I know some of you are not like dying to know what goes on in our creative meetings. But what goes on in our creative meetings for Easter and Christmas, I'm going to tell you anyway, is um, one person will get an idea. And someone will say, well, then what if we do this? And then another person will say, well, why don't we do that? You know that sign thing we did at Easter where Jesus took the things off the cross? That was Keith Red's idea. Give him a hand. And when he said it, none of us could quite grasp. And then the, the more I kept floating and then, you know, would send a thousand emails to and texts to Susan. What do we think about this? What do we think about that? We fit it in. That's what a team does. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're on my team. I'm glad you're on my team. Sometimes just a slight adjustment, Sonia, from a different objective makes all the difference. Because all I can see is what I see. But it's like pieces. Everyone say pieces of a puzzle. Come on, come on, y'all wake up. Pieces of a puzzle. There you go. Pieces of a puzzle. And when I talk to someone else, they give me a piece, a perspective. I'm going to tell you something. If you are too old or too full of yourself to learn or think too full of pride, you're going to fail. I've been ordained for 32 years. I've never sat underneath anyone. I've been in ministry since as big as my mama could stand me up by the organ and piano and sing. But I'm going to tell you something. When someone gets up to give the word of God, I don't care if they're 30 years behind me. In there, they're going to have something for me. And if we ever get to the point that we cannot learn, that we think we are too full of ourselves, and no one in this room is, I am talking to the people listening by podcast, Austin. I want to go on record. No, just kidding, podcast friends. But if you... <laughs> we are just kidding, podcast friends. I was trying to ease the tension in the room. Rarely one individual can give you all the information, but success comes when we let other people bring us a piece of the puzzle. I would say, I, I, would, I didn't think about that. Um, we're doing some work on my rentals, so Pastor Tim is my wise counsel with rentals, and trust me, it's a lot of work. And so I said, well, I didn't think about that. He goes, well, why don't we do this? I said, okay, let's do that. Because I'm not a contractor, if you didn't know that. But if I go out there and try to act like a hard hat and I'm going to nail down this wall for the glory of Jesus, you're just going to look silly. I want you to say, always be open to learn. That's what godly counsel is all about. So let me keep uh, moving. C, averting, that means avoiding, future conflict. Averting future conflict. That is a benefit of godly counsel. Proverbs 13 and 10 says, by pride comes what? I'm going to let y'all read these verses together. You ready? By. That is beautiful. Each to his own rhythm. That's the way it should be. Just dance to your own reign, my people. I tried, Lord. I tried. Um, anyway, just kidding. I loved it. Um, <laughs> pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Everyone say wisdom. wisdom. We've talked about this in hearing the voice of God. Don't you hate times in your life you push past wisdom? Oh, I do. 
when I pushed past my peace, something was a little off. Someone around me said, there's something a little off about that. I, I mean, even godly things that looked godly. And my mom and dad, I'm going to tell you the reasons why I didn't often go to my mom and dad, because they would say whatever I was fearing. It's like they could read my brain. Well, the problem we see with this, I thought, here they go. But it was wisdom because they could see what I couldn't see. We have to be careful that we look for unbiased, I want you to say unbiased, opinions. That's how you avoid future conflict. You look for people that are unbiased. Your best friend who loves to ride down the road with the top of the car down, I'll be careful how I say that. Anyway, with the top of the, in a convertible, with the wind whipping through the, your hair, screaming and yelling, let's go to Mexico, is not your wise counsel. Ask someone that has nothing to lose. And a pastor with Kathy, I'm not going to say her last name, had nothing to lose. Everyone say, pride brings strife. The well-advised walk in wisdom. An unbiased opinion. So here's a super sad story. I always let Pastor share this, but since he um, can only share it now, which I'm sure he is with all the people he's living his best life with, but um, two people that we helped many years ago, Ricky and Allison, they were addicts and heroin very badly. Um, Allison is an R&B top singer. She could blow the, the roof off of everything. She was phenomenal. Spirit filled, but awesome. She was Jeff Coover's sister. But she was awesome. She went to Israel on one of the trips I went. I mean, everywhere we went, we made her sing in every church. I mean, it just, just, it's like watching Aretha. It's like watching the great Whitney. She was phenomenal. Ricky was a pastor's son, but they both got horrifically cooked, hooked on heroin. And uh, so, as usual, Jeff Coover contacted Pastor Hank. Everyone always did. The Binions did that with their sister, Lisa, and said, we have nowhere. We can't get her anywhere. Please take her. So take them. Pastor Hank brought them in here. We first put them into Teen Challenge. We kept them a little bit, detoxed them. Then we put them into Teen Challenge. But they couldn't stand Teen Challenge, so they pulled out of there. Then we put them in one of our members' homes, and they lived there. And we were working it out. Everyone say working it out. We're working it out. We're going through the steps, going through, putting them to work, getting them around godly people. They're doing work around the church. One day, Ricky's mom came in. She was a pastor in Birmingham, and she came in to Pastor Hank, and she said, I'm come to take them home. And he said, you can't take them home. If you take them from here, they're not going to make it. This is what she said, and this is going to sound really harsh coming from me. She said, they're too anointed to be walking out addiction. They need to be back in the flow, back on the stage, back in the glory, back doing the powerful things. They're too big. They're too anointed. When I say Pastor Hank could stand you off and do it with kindness, you'd never know he was coming for your jugular. He would trick you, and then he was coming for it. He pushed her off, and not physically, but he, I mean, he got into one of the biggest matches of confrontation of words and scripture were flowing out of his mouth. She said, I don't care what you say. They're too anointed to be here getting out of addiction. He said, I promise you, Ruby, this is not going to go well. I'm begging you not to do this. She took them home. Oh, they lasted about a month, as they sometimes do, or two or three weeks. They got horrifically hooked again. They got caught up with the wrong drug dealer, really bad dealer in Birmingham. Ricky and Allison got caught up in a really bad drug deal, and they sold some bad drugs. They were put in the back of a trunk of a car, and the car was set on fire, and they burned to death in that trunk. 
The interesting thing, the dealer, because Pastor Hank went to the trial, he went to the funeral, he stood with Jeff, he stood with Ruby regardless, is that at the trial, um, the dealer, when he was up, because it was his trial, they asked him what happened on the day of, you know, to, to give some uh, help to the victims, what happened. And uh, he said, you know, they, get, they sell bad drugs, and I told him if they did, I put them in the car and I caught on fire. He said, what happened when you did that? And they didn't expect what he was going to say, say, say then. He said they must have been fluent in another language because they were both yelling out in another language and calling on the name of Jesus. Now, they died in that fire. It's a horrible story, and it's one I don't say in crying, but I tell it everywhere I go. Pastor Hank always told it when we do table talk for recovery people because it's so important. His mama thought he was too anointed. We are never too anointed to get help. We are never too future-oriented that we can't stop to get help from God. Their whole life could have changed, but their mama, now they could have pressed back. I want you to know it wasn't just their mama's fault. They decided they were too anointed too to get help. Seeking out godly counsel on your paper to the right requires humility and a teachable spirit. Humility because by seeking someone out, you're admitting that the other person may know something you do not teachable spirit because by going to someone else you show you don't know everything but you're willing to learn can you say amen um, number d revealing blind spots blind spots just as i gave that ridiculous illustration before we started of going to the you know place to vote and had that all over my teeth you know have you ever been at dinner and everyone's smiling at you in your restaurant everybody's smiling at you and you get in you have a big old piece of celery right here or right here, or a piece of chive, and you think, why didn't someone tell you? Lettuce is very bad. I eat a lot of lettuce, and you just really keep on top of that. And you wonder why everybody was just laughing so hard at your jokes at dinner. They weren't laughing at your jokes, Melissa. They were laughing at what was in your teeth. Come on, somebody. God did not give you the ability to see your own teeth. You can't see your nose either, but let's leave that one alone tonight, okay? He did not see you, create you do that. They lie in your blind spot. Everyone say blind spot. Godly counsel is the mirror that shows you what's in your blind spot. Everyone say, Godly counsel is the mirror that shows you what's in your blind spot. The Bible says a fool will do what's right in his own eyes. You can think a lot of things. And as being a pastor for 32 years and sitting in with pastor, doing my own counseling, my own godly counsel with people for all these years, you know, people come in and say, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do this. And I'll just listen. The bad thing is when someone says God told them to do it, because as a pastor, that just cuts your legs out from underneath you. Either God told you or you are deceived. But here's the deal. They will sit there and they'll say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I say, okay, that's, that's great. And I'm not going to share, because I'm a pastor, there's a lot of things I could share right here that I'm not. But I would say, well, the only problem with that is this, or the only problem with that is that. And all of a sudden, you give them a perspective. We think we know how things should go. And if we avoid people that might not agree with us, that usually means you think they're godly counsel. Because godly counsel will bring up the mirror and say, wait a minute, you're not looking at something. When you're driving, you know, um, you have to watch your blind spots. I mean, how many have not seen um, cars come right up and you were looking in your mirror, but they're in your blind spot? It's the same way. As a pastor, I have been deceived by people in my early years that just adored me. And even some half-crazy people that was working with me at this time that I was helping would say, you should watch so-and-so. I said, no, I don't watch so-and-so. They're great. And they go, I'm telling you, 
um, Pastor Rhonda, you should watch them. Come to find out I would because I had a blind spot because these people thought they were thought I was so great and it's okay to think someone's great I'm not coming against that but be careful if you let someone get in your blind spot ask someone outside of the situation should I be dating Billy boy who is uh, just escaped from the under uh, government of Guatemala you know um, should I be dating him your best friend will say absolutely Billy is so cute he's awesome date Billy um Godly counsel will say in a very kind way, you are an idiot. You are a fool. If you marry Billy, he is going to bury your body, and the mafia is going to come dig you up. Come on. So that's the thing with godly counsel. Um, number E, we'll go do this, and I have another illustration. Waiting on God. Waiting on God. Waiting on God is a benefit. There's the verse there, a stone was laid in Zion for a foundation, a tried stone a precious cornerstone, that's Jesus. Someone say, that's Jesus. We learned that in the book of Peter. A sure foundation, whoever believes in him will not act. I want you to say, will not act hastily. You will not act hastily. The new revised version of that same thing interprets the last phrase of that verse. One who trusts will not panic. Everyone say, one who trusts will not panic. Uh, Ralph Mahoney, he created the world map. You don't know who that is, but he's a wonderful godly man. He said, anytime there's a hurry up feeling in your spirit and pressure and you can't wait for godly counsel, you will crash. If you're about to make a decision on a marriage, a business, borrowing money or buying a new car in your hurry under pressure, don't dare move. God will never put you in the position where you have to make a crucial decision without counsel. If it fits into God's plan, you will have time. I want you to say, I will have time to seek godly counsel. And the, it may take a day or two, but take that time. Someone say, take that time. And the bigger decision, the more you need to do it. Hey, Jesus was never in a hurry. Jesus was never in a hurry. When Mary and Martha sent word to him, and this is about your decisions, and said, Our, your friend Lazarus is sick, the one that you love. He didn't immediately jump on his donkey and tell it in there by the time he arrived in Bethany you know the story Lazarus has been dead for four days Mary even confronted Jesus about his tardiness and said if you had only been here my brother would not have died Jesus was late sometimes by slowing down the decision-making process we may appear to pass up what seems to be like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity Taking the time to secure godly counsel might mean that right now it's like, if I don't do this right now, it's, it's going to escape me. If I don't do this right now, it's going to escape me. But we are to wait because number five is so cool. If you miss out on an opportunity that is truly from God because you took the time to run through the seven witnesses of God's guidance, God can even raise up that opportunity from the dead. Someone say amen. That is so good. Well, if I don't get there today, they said, if I don't come to that interview today, but I'm supposed to be at my job, or whatever that is. If I don't put a bid out there right now, it, it's not going to go forth. It's not going to happen. But if you wait on the Lord to seek a second opinion, God can raise it up and make it happen. If it's God's will, he will make it happen. Give him a hand clap of praise and give me a second to catch my breath. So here's what I want to say. Number six, we need to be careful to not just seek out people who will tell us what we want to hear rather than seeking out people who will tell us what we need to hear. 
When you're going to ask someone, ask them. If they tell me what I don't want to hear, do I still want wisdom from them? Do I still want to hear from them? Or I just want to seek out someone to say, yeah, you go, girl. You go, man of God. Do what you're thinking. You see, King David was a skilled warrior. He was a talented musician. He was prophetic. He was called the man after God's own heart. But he surrounded. Someone say he's surrounded. He surrounded himself with godly counselors, many. That was one of his attributes. Solomon, his son, did the same thing. That's where Proverbs is. But listen to this. It's a painful story. Within two generations, King Rehoboam abandoned the ways of his father and his grandfather, King David. In 2 Chronicles 10, it records his ascension to the throne. Let me paraphrase this for time. What happened is he had young, everyone say young. Let's call them peeps, posse, BFFs. And then he had the older, wiser men. And so what happened is um, King Roboam uh, said to the people of Israel, came to him and said, your father taxed us so hard. Because he was, Solomon's always in a building project. And, he, and they, we had to pay exorbitant taxes. Of his, if you'll lighten the load, we'll follow you. Rehoboam, get his name right, responded by saying, come back in three days. Everyone say three days. See, here Israel was king, primed for a king that would remember the forgotten people who would align himself with them. He asked the older men and he asked the younger men. The younger men said, be even harsher than your dad. Crack the whip. Show them you're in charge. Show them you're the king. Make them respect you. Do all of this. The older people said to him, listen, God is on your side. Lessen the load on the people. The people's heart will be with you. Show them that you care for them. But Rehoboam did not listen. This is a painful moment of history. He went out to his people. You can read the story later. And he said, if you thought my bad, my, my bad, if you thought my dad was bad, my father was a wimp. Everyone say wimp compared to me. He beat you with whips, but I'll beat you with scorpions. He followed the advice of those that had no wisdom. They had no experience. And the kingdom of Israel, which to none of you, that, if you're not a Bible scholar, this won't matter, split at this moment in history. It was 12 tribes. Then it began, then it began to be Judah and the 10 tribes. Awful when you seek the wrong advice. So are you going to ask somebody that you know will tell you? I'm going to tell you what I do a lot, even with my advisors. I will always ask the one I think might tell me no. The one that I asked Pastor Billy something to. He goes, I don't know about that, Pastor Ron. I don't know about that, Pastor. I mean, he just kept going. I said, okay, Pastor. That's fine. It was nothing big. I just was saying an idea had been proposed to me. He goes, well, let's pray about that. I purposely asked him first and then asked the other advisors, and they all agreed with him, but I knew he would give me the hard thing. Look at your neighbor and say, you got to ask the hard questions. Number seven, four qualities of a godly counselor, four qualities. We're going to go through this, and Josh, if you'll come up and begin to play for me, I'm going to end in a moment. I think we might do well to have some music with a beautiful story of God counseling somebody. So just because a person goes to church, you need to think about this. Experience. If you need advice from marriage, talk to someone that's had a lot of marriage years under their belt. Can I get an amen? If you're dealing with an infidelity, talk with someone who survived it. My husband and I were great about and still are connecting people to people who can help them. If you're going through a divorce, talk to someone that's been through a divorce. If you've got a career change, talk to somebody. If you're going into a business, 
talk to someone that started their own business. If you're an addiction, talk to those who have helped people with addiction or have been through it. It doesn't just limit it to Christians. I want to make that clear because I'm going to tell you, um, if I need a lawyer, I'm not going to say to you speak in tongues and prophesy because I'm going to make sure he can be the snake against the other snake. Can I get an amen? And so and when I go to a doctor, I'm not going to be great if he's a Christian, and that's fantastic. But I want a doctor who knows before he operates on me, do you speak in tongues, sir? Or are you skilled? Someone say skilled. So that's that. And the next one is expertise. If you're needing financial advice, go to someone that knows about finances. Um, Sunday night, this is not a touching story, but Sunday night about 12.45, I was up too late, and Christine was texting me that she heard somebody outside her window. So I looked out a pastor's window where I can get an eye view, and I couldn't. I knew there was not a person. I figured it was an animal. We decided it was an animal. So we said, okay, it'll be okay, um, but she could hear it. Then a few minutes she texted me, and she said, Mama, she said, above the vent, there is a possum looking down at me right above my bed. It was a little baby possum. I mean, it was this little. You would have thought that a snake had been released in our house because we went to war. <laughs> and uh, I was completely freaked out. And I said, you know, I mean, she's 21, but I said, I mean, I just didn't know. Was it going to fall through on her? I mean, it was over her head. And it was trying to chew through to her. You so cute. I'm going to come down and see you. You so cute. And it was just trying to chew through the vent. And I didn't know, so we locked up Azalea because I'm going to tell you, that would have been a night we'd have never forgotten if Azalea had encountered a baby possum. And so I just said, just come on upstairs because I only, I only have one bedroom upstairs. I have all offices now. And so just come on upstairs and sleep with Mommy tonight. So she did. And I woke up about 4. Did you cover every vent in the house? Are they running like a group? Have they formed a circus in the downstairs kitchen? Have they killed the cat, you know? And, uh, but the minute I watched the clock, I was up and I did a lot of things. But the minute that clock struck eight, I called my exterminator. And he said, Miss Davis, and he does a lot of my house. He said, Miss Davis, you're going to have to call wildlife. Well, I didn't know that in this house, Chris Vernon, Matt Decker, and Tim Sally all have cages and could have caught that little baby. But I called the wildlife expert. He came out, he set up cages, then he walked around my house. He said, we got to do something about this. We got to do something about that. We got to do something about this. And, um, and then they, I don't know if you do, they do a trail of marshmallows. Matt Decker said, yep, that's what I use. I use marshmallows in a cage. That's exactly what I use, marshmallows going into a cage. Why didn't you call me? Tim Sally, Pastor Tim, almost started crying last night when I was telling him, I can't believe you didn't call me. You know I'm your go-to guy. Why didn't you call me? I was like I told Pastor Todd last night, who helps me with so many things too. I just said, I just want it done. I didn't care. Yeah, I paid $350, and so far... We've caught two babies and a raccoon. <laughs> now, the mama possum is still loose because I saw her in the daylight. When you see a possum in the daylight, you must be scared because they're nocturnal. And it's on the backside. I also got a guy from Dwelling Place that's going to take care of the forest, of the rainforest in my backyard because I think there's just a habitat. There's probably, there's giraffes out there. I probably don't know at this point. There's probably <laughs> elephants. I mean, I don't know. You know, Pastor Hank was a horticulturist. I am not. But I called for expertise, and that's okay to call someone. So now, yeah, he gets to text me every morning. You caught a baby in the front. How soon can you be here? Because my cat is just sitting in front of the cage, staring at the little possum as it's pacing back and forth. They're super cute when they're little, aren't they? Just little darlings, but they're terrible when they grow up. So get an expert. The third thing um, was um, ex uh, 
experience, expertise, honesty. Everyone say honesty. Proverbs 27 and 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful is a friend that'll say, I don't think you should do that. I mean, that's the godly women in my life. You know, I always say that meme. Hope House girls have been saying this since 12 years I've been coming for you. Those memes that says everyone needs a crazy girlfriend behind them saying, go ahead, do it. Jump off that cliff. I think you're a bunch of idiots that, that, who have created that meme. What you need is a godly friend say, you better not do that. You're thinking wrong. You're thinking wrong. You better watch your thoughts. You better... I mean, I said something to one of my dear friends, Melissa, who's my peer, been best friends for 36 years. I'll say things to Johnny. And he said, what did you just say? And I thought, oh, dear Lord. I said little. Are you little? Are you little in God? I said, well, I hope to be. I'm trying to lose weight. But what are you saying? No, you're attributing your smallness. I said, I am not attributing my smallness. But I've learned good friends are going to corner you back on something and say, what are you saying and what are you doing? A good friend will get in your way. And if people don't want you to be that kind of friend, you don't need them. Or, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Give yourself a clap. I don't know. Or you don't need to be giving them counsel. But it goes on to say, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful, but the wounds of a friend are the blessings, but an enemy is deceitful. Good counselors tell you what you need to hear, and spiritual maturity. Everyone say maturity. That means we're all, we're all coming here. We're community. We come together. We hang together. We, we do great. But when you need really big godly wisdom, make sure you're going to someone that's more spiritual than you are. Make sure the person knows the word of God, that they will answer you according to the word. I saw pastor in tears many times answer people according to the word. One guy said one time, pastor said, why are you crying? He said, because you just talked to me about hell, but you talked to me in a way like you don't want me to go there. And everybody else, when they talk to me about hell, they act like they want me to go there. You see, does a person know the word of God? Well, they tell you without question the word of God. I've had people in my life to say when I was single, you know, you can't do that, Rhonda. It's not, you know, it's the word against the word of God. Does this person live what he proclaims to believe? Are they a doer of the word and not just a hearer? Do they have fruits in their life? Does this person think spiritually? Because you know, you can talk to a new age. I've sat on planes with new age people, and honest to God, it took me 20 minutes to figure out this person is crazy. Come on. And then I take the incense to the upper corners of my attic, and I have a spirit guy, and I'm like, what did you say? And then I'm just thinking, thinking, I am sitting by the wrong woman because here she comes. But, you know, sometimes people can act spiritual and have the right words, but do they know Jesus Christ if you're looking for that kind of wisdom? There is what I would say, everyone say, non-spiritual wisdom and counsel. There is. I didn't ask the exterminator, are you saved? Um, I just called him out because I knew he could catch those animals. It's the same thing in business. You sometimes talk to someone in business. You're looking for a business decision. Um, whatever that is, if you're in your career and you want to talk to someone in your career, you just talk to someone that's wise in their career. So that is it on godly counsel. We're not done, but uh, you can put your pen down for just a second. I want to take you to a moment where God counseled someone really powerful. It's in the Bible. In fact, it's in 1 Kings 19. This man, Sandy, was a mighty prophet. He was so bold. He was so courageous. He was filled with the Spirit. He fought off Ahab and Jezebel at um, Mount Carmel. He stood up there and yelled, Choose today who will you serve? He believed that it would not rain for three years, and it did not rain. He spoke it. He was so powerful. Everyone say powerful. He was so powerful. He was so bold. He was so mighty. And he did all of that. And then when God brought down fire, 
he got so excited after he killed all the prophets of Baal, the false prophets, he began to run. And the Bible said he picked up his tunic and the spirit of God came upon him and he began to run so fast he outran all the chariots. That means spirit of God just came on him like power. Woo, I love that. It just came on him like power and he outran. Someone say he outran the chariots. But then old Jezebel, you recognize the story. She said, I'll die before I don't kill um, Elijah the prophet before the sun goes down. She made that threat. Everyone say threat. And Elijah just outran everybody, but then all of a sudden he goes and he gets real pitiful. You ever been there? He's tired. He gets into a victim mentality. He's crying. In the worst case scenarios, it brings you to a point that you wish to die. And he did say, I want to die. This man, be careful after big victories. My mama in the faith taught me that when I was young. Whenever you get a big victory, guard yourself, guard yourself. Because sometimes after a big victory, you, you kind of feel like you're going down a hill. And he did. He was tired. He was exhausted. Everyone say he was exhausted. And here he is and he says, listen to what he says. Because God's coming to counsel with him. For I am no better than my father's. Whoever said he had to be better than his father? When you get into pity, you put standards on yourself God doesn't even put on you. When you get into pity party and you get down on yourself, Jehovah God had never asked for him to get into that kind of thinking. Self-pity, when we establish unrealistic standards and we can't live up to them, self-pity mauls its way inside our mind like a beast with claws and shreds us in our mind. And here it was, faithful Jehovah God, everyone say God, stepped on the scene. As he lay down, listen to this, as he lay down under the juniper tree, behold, there was an angel. Someone say an angel. And he said to him, rise up and eat. And he looked and behind, beside his head was bread and water. I'm condensing. And the angel said, arise and eat for the journey is too much for you. The journey is too much for you. Was saying that there's moments when God says, you know what, you just need to rest. I need to counsel you to rest, says the Lord. I need to counsel you to take some time to just be ministered to. He ate and drank and he went in the strength of that because the journey's too great for you for 40 days and 40 nights. Everyone say 40 days, 40 nights. God met his servant. I got this last part like six minutes before I went out the door. So forgive me for more reading because I was just like, doo, 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 doo. but that's okay. I should have thought of it earlier, but it just came to me. God met his servant Elijah in a desperate moment of discouragement. This is mercy at its best. This is beautifully portrayed by the master himself. God allowed Elijah to rest in a time. No lightning bolt, but no shame. Someone say no shame, no blame. No, look at you. Get up, you worthless and great. Get on your feet. That's how we think God talks to us. Get back at it. No, God said, even though Elijah had just fought off everything, I just, you just have to read it. I mean, he just had thundered the gates of heaven and hell. He said, take it easy, my son. You haven't had a good meal in a long time. And he catered him a meal. I don't know if there's certain meals. I'm going to play something for you. A man went to heaven, not tonight. But uh, Joni's been reading this story to me now for a month, and she interviewed him on Monday, and, and we're getting the table talk formatted to show you. But it's so powerful how people smell certain smells going into heaven. It's things that they loved. I don't know, you know, and so for Elijah, this brought back sweet memories of days gone by. God fed him. Exhaustion can make you do cartwheels and make you feel tired. 
and you feel alone. And then he came, First Kings 19 and 9, he came to the cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? I love that God finds you and I. I love that the godly counsel, the most high God will find Rhonda in moments and say, Rhonda, what are you doing here? Girl, why are you laying there on that couch feeling down on yourself? What are you doing? What are you doing here? You ought not to be ashamed of yourself. He didn't say that. You should be ashamed of yourself. He didn't say snap out of it, son. You shouldn't feel like this. Instead, God asked that question. What are you doing here? What brought you here? I love a God with his counsel. Hang with me just for a couple of minutes. I love a God with his counsel that will say, why are you here feeling so down tonight? I'm not getting on to you. Why do you feel like you're not a part? Why do you feel like your life doesn't matter? What brought you here? Why are you here? Why are you here? And Elijah came back with that famous statement, full of self-pity. He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. Everyone's forsaken you. Everyone's gone away from you. And I alone am left. And they seek to kill me. Elijah was believing the lie. I'm all alone. Look at your neighbor and say, you're never all alone. But graciously, God listened to him. I love a godly counsel. One of the secrets of, I studied counseling at, at Lee University, is just to be quiet. If you talk too much, just to listen. Because the longer you listen, the more people will share what's in their hearts. And God listened. He didn't say that's dumb, stupid. But he said, Elijah, get up and come out of the cave. What he was saying is what he says to you and I. Come on. Come out of that self-pity. Come out of that depression. Come out of that place that you're feeling that way. Come out and walk out and see me. And what he said to him was, come out and stand in the light to the mountain. And he said, Stand before the mountain of the Lord. And now you're recognizing the story. And behold, the Lord, everyone say the Lord, was passing by. And a great and strong wind, wind was rendering the mountains, but the Lord was not in the wind. And then an earthquake, everyone say earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. So there's that big sound, but the God of all mercy just drew him out. I always like to see, and we'll say that in your closing, he put his cloak over his head, and he came out. And God said, Elijah, Elijah, in the wind. And in that time, we don't have time for tonight, he gave him a new plan. We'll get your two blanks here in a moment. A new plan, a new vision, a new hope, and new peace. Let's do those. Number eight, in one whisper, and I've got one more thing to share with you. God can draw you close to him, draw you out of self-pity, discouragement, and depression. Everyone say one whisper. One whisper from the godly counselor who went to the mighty man. All of us would say, I can't believe you're doing this, Elijah. I mean, you've been used by God so powerfully. And here you are in this cave hiding. But God just draws him out. Come close. Come close. Get your eyes back on me. You've had your eyes on what you're fighting. You've had your eyes on what you're dealing with. You've had your eyes on everything around you. You've had your eyes on what's going on, what's coming. You've had your eyes on this. You've had your eyes on the people. You had your eyes on your discouragement. I want your eyes back on me because number nine, in one whisper, God can bring truth to you about your situation, resulting in new vision, new hope, and the peace that passes all understanding. Put your pins down just for a moment if you don't mind. And hang with me. I'm going to pray with you. But I want to share one thing with you. Elijah had to get his eyes back on the Lord. Tonight, godly counsel says to us, 
Keep your eyes. He'd been used mightily, but it was the Lord who made him mighty. But he got his eyes on the things. Who was for him? Who was against him? He stood strong against the enemy, but it was the Lord who had given him the strength. We've got to get our eyes back on the Lord. One of my favorite stories told by Chuck Swindoll about a man in a veteran's hospital that Chuck went to visit. He had suffered a series of heart attacks and had undergone major surgery. During his rehabilitation, he stayed at the Dismal Veterans Hospital. The day that Dr. Swindoll arrived, this man had a young son, and during his confinement in the hospital, the father had made a little wooden truck by hand for his boy. Since the boy was not allowed to go up into the ward and visit his father, an orderly brought the gift down to the little boy with his mother. The father the whole time was looking out the fifth floor of the window watching his son unwrap this gift that the dad had worked so hard he missed his little boy. The little boy opened the package. His eyes got wide. The little truck, he just hugged it to his chest. He loved it so much. Meanwhile, on the fifth floor, the father's just walking back and forth, waving his arms, trying to get the little boy's attention. Look up. Daddy made it. Daddy made that for you. Please look up, son. Daddy made that. Please see your daddy. And he's waving his hands. The little boy put the truck down, reached up and hugged the orderly, then hugged the mama all the while the daddy was just crying up on the fifth window. Son, look up here. Look up here, son. I made that for you. Finally, the mother and the orderly turned the little boy's attention to the fifth floor and said, your daddy made that for you. And he began to cry and say, Daddy, I love you, Martha. I miss you, Daddy. Please come home soon, Daddy. I love you so much, Daddy. Sometimes we are like that little boy. That daddy's face was just covered with tears of joy when the little boy finally saw him. And he couldn't stop smiling and crying. I love you. I made that. I think sometimes that's the way we are with God. He gives us a great job. We fall in love with the job. I love this job. The people in our life, I love the people. And we should. I love these things when God all the time is just saying, look up. I'm the one that gave you all that. I'm your godly counsel. Keep your eyes on me and what I want to do in your life and through your life. Don't be afraid. Don't think it's not happening in the right time. I, the Lord, will do it is what he says. So let me say Let's look up after the Lord graciously delivers us from depression. Let's look up when he allows us rest following a hectic schedule. Let's look up and thank him not only after meals, but when we wake up, when he gently and patiently speaks his word, when we know we've been brats. Can I get an amen? Let's look up and praise him when he faithfully provides companionship of the people. After the fire comes a whisper that changes everything. You are mine, says the Lord. I love you. Listen to my counsel. You've been so hard on yourself, says the Spirit of the Lord. You've been so rigid with yourself. You've put standards on you that I, the Lord, have not. Look up and get a vision of what all I have given you. My godly counsel will stand, I hear the Spirit of the Lord saying. It will stand. Do not be afraid. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for godly counsel that we can go to for experts, Lord. And we thank you for your godly counsel, Lord. Speak to us, God. Bring good people. Forgive us when we go looking for someone to agree with us. And we don't ask someone who's going to tell us what we don't want to hear. But, Lord, let us hear from you. There is safety and success, averting danger in the future and peace if we listen to godly counsel. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. In closing, um, I'm done.
But the closing box is one that uh, came up with many years ago that I love. One loud threatening scream from Jezebel sent an anointed, strong, loved prophet running to hide in a cave. But one, someone say one, gentle whisper from God Almighty who loved him brought the prophet Elijah out of the cave of fear, discouragement, and helplessness. Listen for his whisper this week. Expect the glory of your new today. Out of the cave of destiny, it's time to move forward. Look at your neighbor and say, it's time to move forward. Let's give the Lord a hand clap for his word. I forgot one crazy story, but I'm going to make it into something coming up. Next week, uh, we'll be talking about fleeces. And should you use them or not, I think it'll be fun, but it'll be also very informative next Wednesday night. If you can't